Welcome to another edition of Food, Faith, and Feelings, where we walk with you on your journey to wholeness. Our host is Dr. Jeannie Burnett, licensed clinical psychologist and certified eating disorder therapist. Join her and her host, Carlos Houston, as they discuss the relationship between your food, your faith, and your feelings. Welcome to Food, Faith, and Feelings. I walk with you on your journey to wholeness. Back in the studio from coming off the road from her jet setting all across the southeast, coming from TV shows and radio shows across the nation. Oh, you know, yeah, I gotta, I that's right. I got a little bit, you know. I, I was out of town last week. Exactly. <laughs> I forgot. It's been a whole week since then. <laughs> Welcome back. How you feeling? Uh, I'm a little tired today, honestly, from uh, running all over the, 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 the southeast. <laughs> no rest for the weary. That's right. Well, we've been talking about anxiety for the past two weeks, and we're going to flip the script just a little bit today and stay in the same vein. But from anxiety, we're going to transition over to depression. <sighs> yeah. I'm so sad. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I think that's one of the things that is is a common misconception about depression. That is exactly. equivalent to sadness. You know, so people say, well, I've been sad, too. So just snap out of it. Uh, mm. Sadness and depression are not the same, though. I do believe that people, all people can experience depression, but experiencing depression and suffering from clinical depression is two very, very, very different things. And what are those differences, you might ask? Jeannie, Dr. Burnett. Yes, sir. Can you tell us what those differences are? Well, I'll try. Thank you. Um, One of the major uh, contributing factors to someone that goes through major depression. Well, let me first identify help just sort of identify what the um, some of the major depressive illnesses and diagnoses are. One is you can have a dysthymic disorder, dysthymia, like a low thymia means emotion. So dysthymia is sort of a long term, low grade depression. It doesn't make you want to die, but it sometimes it makes you not want to get out of bed. A major depressive disorder is where you have some really deep dips where the thoughts of uh, I'm in too much pain. I, I, I want to end my life. Um, I don't go to work. I start drinking heavily. Um, some of those issues are inside of a major depression. Right. And I think that's a great way of categorizing that would be hopelessness, that that feeling like nothing is worth anything. Well, and that's one of the misconceptions inside of especially a major depression is that the way things look right now is the way it's going to be forever. Right. And there's no way that I can survive whatever the con- you know consequences or whatever the situation is. And a lot of times finances um, that can drive someone to uh, having major depression relationships relationship loss um, loss of a job lots of major kind Changes. of life-changing issues right. so death of a child different things like that but so one of the things I wanted to um, say at, at first is that there are biochemical changes in your brain when you are depressed and the longer that you stay depressed, the more that those biochemical changes stay stuck. And 
I there I, I found out that there are like over a hundred um, neurotransmitters in our brain. I'm not that kind of a doctor, so I can't tell you a lot of them about a lot of them. But I do know that um, dopamine is a factor, serotonin is a factor, and so the medications that we pres- that I don't prescribe, but that physicians prescribe for depression is to aid in rebalancing those neurotransmitters. It is not a crutch. It is a, they are, it is simply like taking insulin if you have diabetes. Right. And I, I want to make sure that people understand that this is a medical condition. It is not, oh, just snap out of it. Like a major depression is a big deal. It would be like telling someone with cancer, snap out of it. No one in their right mind would ever say that. No one with any sensitivity mm-hmm. would ever tell an individual suffering from cancer, snap out of it. Yet we tell individuals suffering from mental illnesses such as depression, that very statement is spoken like continuously. Get over it, snap out of it. Okay, it's, you know, he passed away five years ago. Why are you still in the same place? Why are you stuck here? Like everyone else has gotten over it. Why can't you get over it? Right. And, and that's uh, basically what you're doing is um, invalidating their feelings and thoughts and experiences and um, really just shows our lack of understanding. Um, so hopefully what we can do today and, and on our next show is bring more understanding around depression, whether the individuals who are currently listening or maybe you have family members or friends or anyone that you've been close with may have experienced some depression. We hope we can shine a little more light on that. Right. Um, bring more understanding. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, I know a lot of the times we will joke around in here, but um, anxiety and depression are both very, very serious illnesses. Um, I would say that a lot of people, I don't, I'm not going to make up the statistic this time. Um, 30 million people across the world. Uh, I don't I don't know that. I'm just saying. But a um, lot of people. But it, it's a very, very serious illness. And it is not one to be taken lightly. Um, I think that there does need to be a lot of education for people. Um, if you've been described or has have had clinical depression, um, please, please, please take care of yourself. Because a lot of the times um, it can ruin things in your life uh it can ruin relationships it can ruin your job potential it can ruin your health it it, there's just a lot of things that go on that depression in in and of itself can affect people um one of the things that i did was i put a question out there on facebook and asked people um what what questions did they have and my mom hi mom um, said that she wanted to know uh, why are depression and anxiety considered to be similar illnesses? It's a great question. Yep, because a lot of the times people will have depression and or anxiety. Right. And it's always, I think, clinically speaking, that's one of the, the big parts of the assessment is to determine which came first, the chicken or the egg. Because one of the symptoms of depression is anxiety. And one of the symptoms of anxiety is depression. Right. Well, and and biochemically, I learned this a long time ago when I was in grad school. Biochemically, they really look the same. And so if you were taking an, an anti-anxiety, it can help with your depression. Or if you're taking a antidepressant, it can also help with your anxiety because 
the, the, it's the neurochemicals. Whatever your neurochemistry is doing, wherever you are lacking that physically can complicate this whole process of recovering from it, um, sometimes an anticonvulsant will help with your depression. So it's really just about the chemicals that you need to balance out some your synapses in your brain. I think there's, there's also along with the, the, the pharmaceutical approach, there's also things that we can do ourselves that, that are very important that we, we have to always remember. Um, kind of like when we talked about anxiety, we talked about coping skills and, and things like exercising and breathing. And some of those same coping skills for anxiety also work with, with anxiety. I think a big part you of You mean it, depression. I mean, I'm sorry, with depression, exactly. I, I was listening. Yeah, I, I see. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of the things that you mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking, I think it's important to, to talk about because with depression, your self-speech has a lot to do with any mental illness, but um, uh, with depression, our, our self-talk plays a big part into in where we are. Uh, we think things and right. Well, a lot of the times people will come in my office and they'll say, you know, I'm depressed today, and I'm like, okay. And depression has become such this overarching, like it just kind of covers over a lot of behavior and a lot of thought and a lot of attitude. And what I like to do is I like to break down the depressive cycle. And um, I believe this is also inherent in the anxiety process. Um, So what it is that I believe, like I I believe that God created us first as thought people, like we, we are rational thinking people and whatever it is. And I also believe that God created us to want to know the truth. If we believe that I'm not good enough, is the truth about who I am because of my history, then I'm going to continue to fear and believe and essentially live out that belief. And so if my belief that I'm not good enough, I've never been good enough, and I'm always not going to be good enough, that will continue to send me forward into my life. And so if I believe that there is no hope for change, then that will set up that depressive cycle. So the thought leads to the negative feeling, which is sadness or fear or anger or just that down place. And and it um, and then you act that out. And then in, in your relationships, you will begin to just see that negative process because Like if I come in and I'm like, oh, Carlos, I'm so sad today. And you try and help me get out of it. You you try and help me to think about things in a different way. But my my process in my brain, because I like to break it down like our we have little bitty teeny tiny nerve nerves that connect and chemicals send an impulse. And when something is triggered, that impulse goes and we have a certain thought pattern that happens when we have come to learn over time and over 10 or 20 or 50 years. It's very difficult. It's like I like to say it. It's like it's like 75, 85, the way it used to be before it was broken. Um, <laughs> the way it used to be. The way it used to be is like this major highway mm-hmm. and changing our thoughts is like starting like creating a new road. Right. And and that's hard. So it's practice. Imagine walking across your grass. Uh, you know, you have this beautiful lawn, and you walk across your grass every day for and the d- for five years. Like my dog has run a path in <laughs> exactly. the grass. In so now, all of a sudden, there's a trail that has been formed, and that, that that trail is is going to be permanent as long as you continue to walk down it. But you say, well, I'm only going to walk down it three times a week. 
Well, it's going to stay formed. It's going right. to take a long period of time of you first tending to it. You've got to tend to it. You've got to plant some more seed there, but you've got to stay off of it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really a, a changing of the way you think and not being set back by a, a setback, <laughs> not being set back by a setback. <laughs> but um, because we all experience things, there are going to be times in our lives where we experience sadness. There's going to be times. But the problem oftentimes with individuals who suffer from depression is that setback carries them right back to the old foundation of I'm not worthy. Life is, is not worth it. Uh, I'm hopeless. I'm, See, I'm I was fail. right. You were wrong. I told you. I told you I'm not good at anything. I told you that I was going to fail. And it just it reedifies that belief. That's right. And I think that um, right now we need to actually go to commercial. We thank all of our um, sponsors. And um, we'll see you right back talking more about the problem of depression and what it can look like in different kinds of people. Thank you. So, could your nonprofit use $10,000 per month in free Google advertising? Since 2003, Google has donated free advertising to over 20,000 nonprofits in over 50 countries throughout the world. They've helped them raise millions of dollars in cash donations, recruiting and volunteer work, and in raising awareness for their causes. Visit epicgrowth.com, that's E-P-I-C-growth.com, to see if your nonprofit organization is eligible for this $10,000 in free advertising today. My friend, Mr. Steve Hightower, created an amazing fundraiser for children in Atlanta. This year, you can be a part in helping homeless Atlanta teens by attending the 8th annual Thriving Children Gala, which is on May the 12th. At the Atlanta History Center. The gala will benefit the Lost and Found Youth Agency. The doors open at 6.30 for cocktails, hors d'oeuvres, and silent auction. You will then be escorted to the Grand Overlook Ballroom for an evening of entertainment featuring Las Vegas, Britney Spears impersonator Derek Berry, fashion show, live auction, and more. For more information, you can go to atlantathrivingchildren.org or call Mr. Steve Hightower at his Hair and Day Spa at 404-264-9006. Thanks. NISA is a capital company that helps connect those who are from countries outside of the United States to access funding and legal assistance using specific programs that are flexible in order to enhance a project's success. NISA Capital is a global professional services firm that's headquartered in Atlanta and has locations in Miami, India, China, Korea, Vietnam, and Latin America. And welcome back to Food, Faith, and Feelings. We've got another edition here with uh, Mr. Carlos Houston and myself, Dr. Jeannie Burnett, talking about depression. Such a heavy topic. Very, very heavy topic. I think one of, one of the things about it, um, to give insight, I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of individuals about mental health and to mm-hmm. try to get them to understand it from the mental health perspective, uh, from the individuals who are suffering from different mental health issues. And I think one of the things that's important to understand about depression is that... Um, 
what the person's going through because often we see like if I see you smiling and laughing the day and then tomorrow I see you crying and saying that your life is horrible and then I say you were just having a good time yesterday you were just you can you can suffer from depression and have an up moment absolutely <laughs> that can that can happen and in fact I, yeah I want to just um, comment about that because people that are really struggling inside they learn I mean you know you see those commercials where they pull up it's I think it's for a, one of the drug companies and they pull up the face and they they show this happy face and that's what people really struggle with is okay it's going to take a lot of energy to go to this dinner party but she's my best friend and it's for my child and I have to go but I really just want to stay in bed and sleep and do nothing and so it's really exhausting because what's happening inside of them it's it's a lot of the time I mean I've heard before you know depression is anger turned inward and it's a whole lot more complicated than that. But I think that that is, um, it's kind of a good uh, illustration because wherever we have pain, we our, our attention is drawn to it. So imagine that you're hanging a picture on the wall and you've got the nail and the hammer and you slip and you hit your thumb or you're, you, something happens and you hurt yourself. Well, at that moment, you're not worried about where the hammer, the nail or anything else is. You're worried about the pain. When you have emotional pain, your attention is normally and naturally drawn inward because you're trying to figure it out. And what happens is you, you your whole life cycle gets disrupted. Your sleep cycle gets disrupted. Your food cycle gets disrupted. Your exercise, you know, whatever your 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 work life, um, you you know, if you are trying to calm yourself down or make yourself feel better, if you take drugs or alcohol, those were those are all going to impact how your body functions and that can contribute to feeling more depressed. You made some very uh, good points just then. Uh, one thing that Thank you, you said. Yes, ma'am. You, you were talking about the, just turning inward. I, I think oftentimes when we interact with individuals who are depression, with depression, um, the selfishness of their behaviors. And I think it's, it's important to, to bring out how selfish depression is. Notice I'm not saying the person with depression is selfish. Depression is very selfish. Mm-hmm. It it is it pulls all of your attention, like you say, it pulls it inward. But it is it is difficult to focus on external things. It's difficult to focus on mm-hmm. your job. It's difficult to focus on your family. It's difficult to like, think sometimes. Exactly because that depression is so demanding and is is drawing in all of your attention. Um, something else that that you you talked about, I think it's important to say. And we said it's also about anxiety. Is that depression has very real physical symptoms. Yes. Yes. The, it is a mental illness, but the symptoms are very real. The insomnia, the lack of sleep or the hypersomnia, uh, sleeping all the time, uh, lowered uh, libido, decreasing your sexual drive, your your uh, loss of an appetite, your the, the, that, as you said, that inability to just get out of bed. And when an individual with depression does make those, those leaps to do that, to get out of bed, to go to that dinner party, that's an achievement. That is a big achievement. It's no big deal to anyone else. I mean, you went to a party, no big deal. Right. For that individual to get out of the house, to get in the car, to take a shower, put on some good clothes and, and, and look good and smell good, that's, that is an achievement. And I think all those things have to be, uh, when you understand it, then you know how to to uh, validate the, the achievement they've, they've made. Yeah, I want to um, share this. When I when I had my eating disorder, I was also depressed. And I went through this phase, and I remember I was about 15 or 16. And I, you know, I, I from 8 
to 14, I was a gymnast. I was very active. I loved to be physically active. But when I was depressed, there was no physical activity. In fact, when I got home from school, like I was in I was in high school. And so I'd come home and I would just go to sleep. And then I would, you know, my mom would wake me up for dinner. And sometimes I would go, sometimes I wouldn't. And then I would just want to go back to sleep. And the more that I slept, the more my body demanded more sleep. And it was, I remember one time I thought, ah, all I'm doing is I'm sleeping like, you know, 15 hours a day. This is crazy or 12 hours, whatever it was. And I remember I made myself one time get up and not go to sleep. I was so tired and go for a walk just to shift the cycle. And it was physically painful. It was almost like my body had turned into butter and I had no stamina and I had no muscle tone and I had nothing. And so it is it, it's it's like in my in my mind, I feel I have this image of like lifting this heavy rock mm-hmm. that you're supposed to lift and you just can't do it. And it takes everything out of you. But Your life is going to continue after you lift this heavy rock. And so I just I have a lot of compassion for people that have depression. Um, And you're right. I mean, there are sometimes people, you know, the only way they can end the pain that's associated with depression, they they kill themselves. And there's nothing in in my life like that bothers me and pains me more than my friend. Like I've I've had probably five or six male friends in their 40s that have killed themselves and it is a huge um it's a huge problem because especially for men they don't feel like they have the ability to talk about stuff they don't have the ability to connect it is it's it's weakness um and like you said that 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 burden that that true burden it's not a physical burden that we're actually lifting every day but it is is a, a emotional and mental burden that burden can put you in a place where you truly believe that you don't have the ability to go on. And the only thing that to do to end this is to commit suicide. Um, but that burden isn't a burden that you have to lift alone. And I, one of the things, for any, if anyone's listening that is suffering from depression, remember, you can talk. You can reach out. There's the, one of the most important things is to let those people who love you know that you're suffering uh, because that's the, the last thing that we do oftentimes but that's one of the first things we need to do because they don't want to be a burden right and that's that's one of the biggest biggest problems right. um to those who have loved ones it is important for you to let them know that you that they are not a burden let them know that that no more than if they had broken their leg or they had a physical illness diagnosis right. but that's 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 part of love to take care of one another that's right um i'm going to go ahead and we're going to turn to our our verse of the week is from Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you are all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I a part of uh, I think change, especially in counseling, is that you learn, you develop this relationship, and you learn to trust someone else's perspective and opinion more than you trust your own, because sometimes having that person who is a neutral party that doesn't have any investment either way with you or your your other people in your life. Um, but I think that that relationship is so important. And of course, in my life, the most ultimate important relationship is that that we have with God. And sometimes when I feel like there's nothing that's going to change in, in this situation and I'm sad and I'm upset, then I just I turn it over to God and I 
truly try and rest in that and just let it go. So practice that this week. Trust and abide in God. Trust and abide. Trust somebody else more than yourself. Thank you.